1: And we're back, duh. Let's go. Let's see how many calls we can take before I bring in Tim Britton, my first and only guest right now. I might have a football guest later, but keep McPherson on the fan, KM to AM, 877 337 6666. We have talked about the NFL mostly from McCole Hardman to Jameis Winston to Tyrod Taylor uh, we've also mentioned a little bit about the Mets and that conversation is going to kick back up in about 10 minutes with Tim Britton on the fan and the Rangers are on it's still scoreless no Knicks no Nets no NBA tonight good I, I wanted to break from that whole conversation the-, the Knicks are banged up are the Nets still in a league yeah let's get back to the phones let's talk to Max in Albany New York what's up Max me I can hear you and uh, is it
2: snowing where you are?
1: It sounds like yeah,
2: uh, there's a big rainstorm passing through all. Okay. Let me we uh, try Hey Keith first time caller, big fan. I like your style. Thanks. Uh, I just want to go off that one guy's point about Tyrod. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I'm with you. I mean, you can't pay the guy. That that's not going to work. However, like you said, I mean, he should have been 5-0 and as a starter. We should have beat the Bills. I was at the game. We should have beat the Rams. I was at the game. We should have beat the Jets. And then his other two starts were against Washington and uh, Billy at the end of the year. So he went 2-3. Yeah. You know, I mean, in my opinion, you know, but you bring him back for one year and you see what he can do.
1: Okay, thanks for the call. I just was like, oh, I can't stand the rain. It's
3: in the middle of like a hurricane or something. <laughs>
1: I was like, is it snowing where you are? It's raining outside. Um, I know you guys hate Daniel Jones, but come on with the Tyrod Taylor stuff. And shout out to Tyrod, man. I got to go resurface uh, the newspaper clippings from the Northeast Combine back in the day. Yeah, here comes another. Keith McPherson washed, has been, quarterback story. Yeah, I got to meet Tyrod at the uh, Northeast Combine back in the day. He's a year younger than me. And I knew he was going to be something because he was pissed off that they weren't letting him throw. Um, he got, you know, to the Combine and did all of the testing and stuff, but he was a year younger, so he didn't get to throw. I got to throw, but that's just because I was a class ahead of him. He kind of got invited as just like one of the better sophomores in the East. And uh, I'm like, man, this guy, when I went and actually looked him up, He's a legend coming out of Hampton, Virginia, and he's a journeyman. This guy has made a good amount of coin in the NFL being an undersized quarterback. He's played for the Baltimore Ravens, the Buffalo Bills, the Cleveland Browns, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Houston Texans, and your New York Giants. And honestly, he's had a raw deal. You guys remember uh, watching Hard Knocks with Baker Mayfield getting drafted that year. And um, what was the guy's name? What was their coach's name? Hubie Brown? No, I'm blanking on their their head coach's name. Not Hubie Brown. That was something dumb. Hugh Jackson. Why did I say Hubie Brown? Sports brain. Uh, Hugh Jackson was the coach. Then, I mean, he was going to start for the Los Angeles Chargers. A doctor operated on him and, like, cracked a rib or, like, I don't know, did something to him in the procedure where you know, he couldn't play, couldn't breathe, breathe, right? And then Justin Herbert's been the quarterback ever since. And I don't mean to laugh about it. I mean that the guy has gotten a raw deal, and it continued this year when he had a clause in his contract that if he started the last X amount of games, maybe the number was five, that it would have triggered a million dollar bonus. And the Giants ducked that because they were pinching their hands, throwing up the Tommy Cutlets leaning into Cedar Grove and Don Bosco Prep's finest. And I was all for it. I still stand by it. I said that was the best New York football story of the season. Miserable seasons, but at least one of us. One of us. A Jersey guy that grew up in the shadow of the stadium was able to string together three wins for the Giants. And when Tyrod Taylor came back, he couldn't get on the field. He eventually did. But, like, I don't know what, I don't know, I don't know. I know there are Giants fans listening right now that are like, what? (laughs) Pay Tyrod Taylor. He should be the starter. He honestly shouldn't even be back. The reason Tyrod Taylor was here was because he knows Daybol's system, right? He was with the Buffalo Bills, and Daybol's familiar with him, and they brought him here to challenge Daniel Jones. And we all remember the story, or maybe we don't all remember, but this story, like, stood out to me that in training camp, they were telling the defense the plays that Daniel Jones and the offense were going to run to try and frustrate frustrate Daniel Jones. They weren't doing that for Tyrod Taylor. They were trying to give Tyrod Taylor an advantage. I think they never believed in Daniel Jones, and that fast forwards to now. What I'm saying about Joe Shane, they never believed in this guy. Gettleman was in full bloom love with Daniel Jones, and they didn't draft him six overall. They didn't pick up his rookie option. They brought in Tyrod Taylor as insurance. Hey, if this guy actually isn't that good, maybe Tyrod can be the starter. And fast forward to now, just because you saw Tyrod Taylor have a couple 300-yard games, like, think about him checking into a run uh, in Buffalo. What the hell are you doing, bro? Think about him with that little push pass, like, not being able to complete that to Saquon Barkley to win the game. Like, that is why you're not a starter in the league. And Tyrod is a 100 times better quarterback than I ever was but now I'm a radio host. I get to critique. and Watching the game like that, I don't know how Giants fans are calling up saying that that should be your quarterback. Dylan is down in Middletown next up on the fan. Go for it, Dylan.
3: Hey, Keith. First I want to say just love the uh, energy that you bring. Some positivity is nice on this station every once in a while. Um, that being said, I've heard a couple times today, actually, on the other shows that if Aaron Rodgers or if the Jets want to draft a quarterback, that he would throw a temper tantrum. I just, I don't get that. I mean, he's only got a couple of years left on his contract and probably his career. So I just want to hear your thoughts on the Jets and drafting a quarterback.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks for the compliment, Dylan. Everybody's positive on the fan, not just me. It's positivity 24-7. Everybody comes in here and is nice to the callers and doesn't yell. And <laughs> so, uh, Zach Wilson You heard Joe Douglas today say that Zach Wilson has permission to request and seek out a trade, and his agent can go contact teams and try and find a place for him. I really hope that young man lands on his feet somewhere far away from here. I think he does have arm talent. I think that he got a raw deal. Obviously, he's got to shoulder a lot of that responsibility, but how dumb were the Jets to have Rob Sala, your defensive-minded head coach, as a rookie, Mike LaFleur, as a rookie offensive coordinator – just like one of um, Rob Sala's groomsmen or something, yeah. Come on, uh, run my offense and uh, Woody Johnson and those guys draft this guy number two overall, hand him the keys to the New York Jets. Yeah, what what could go wrong? So I mean, it's it's tough. And then you know he got scape, scapegoated, and it was always like Zach Wilson. the 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 biggest thing that I saw from Zach Wilson was that Texans game. After everybody said he didn't want to take the football, he didn't want to play anymore, he went out there and he balled. He beat a team that went on to win their division, go to the playoffs, and win a playoff game. Remember that about him. Remember that about him. Even in that Chiefs game where rumors are out there that McCole Hartman gave the Chiefs the game plan, like even the Eagles game. Zach Wilson went out there and did enough to win. So starting with Zach Wilson, who was the backup this year, I hope that he lands somewhere else. But who is the backup for Aaron Rodgers in 2024? it will not be a young quarterback that they drafted. It will be an experienced veteran, probably somebody that Aaron Rodgers likes, probably somebody that Aaron Rodgers doesn't consider a threat. Because a lot of the weeks last year that we watched the Jets and all the hosts were saying, they got to get a quarterback, they got to get a quarterback, and then that quarterback was Trevor Simeon. I just had the thought in my head that Aaron Rodgers is a star of the show and Aaron Rodgers doesn't want somebody to come in here like uh, Joe Flacco or uh, Carson Wentz, who was signed, or whoever, and lead this team to the playoffs and end the drought in the year that he was supposed to win the Super Bowl. So who's going to be the backup? I don't know. We've already talked about Jameis Winston. I mentioned Jacoby Brissett. I mentioned Gardner Minshew. Um, Maybe Tyron Taylor wants to stay in his same place up here and just go to the other side and be a backup behind Aaron Rodgers. I think it is kind of crazy that they're running it back. And really the main reason they're running it back is because the plan is all around Aaron Rodgers and they, they didn't get to execute the plan next year. So heads won't roll until they fail in 2024, but Aaron Rodgers is almighty and he's got so many people under his thumb and everybody thinks that he's just going to come in here and they're going to get a brand new offensive line. And those guys are going to immediately gel. And Aaron Rodgers knows everything about football. So, you know, the offense will be just fine under him, but they need a quarterback. And Joe Douglas, I, I already said I was in the BT and Sal Twitch chat. I'm like, did Aaron Rodgers prep Joe Douglas for, for this conversation with the Jets media at the combine? He's got to stay out of the way because in his first year being Le GM, you know, him trying to be GM of the team, it was terrible. A bunch of guys that were here like McCole Hardman, like Dalvin Cook, like Alan Lazard, like Randall Cobb, Billy Turner. Timmy Boyle, duds. Keith McPherson on the fan. We got to take a break. Coming up next is Tim Britton. We're going to talk about the New York Metropolitans.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Let's keep rocking, man. Keep McPherson on the fan. Joining us right now, senior writer from The Athletic covering your New York Mets. Let's welcome in Tim Britton. What's up, Tim? Hey,
3: Keith. What's going on?
1: You know, hosting the show, talking the talk, watching the Rangers and I mean, I know everybody wants to talk about the Jets and the Combine and the NFL has put out their surveys and grades for every team, but we're two weeks in the spring training. We're supposed to talk about the Mets and my Yankee fans are on hold. We'll, we'll get to you in a second. So I was reading your article today and it's funny. I was on air when the news broke about Kodai Senga. I was on with BT in the midday last Thursday and... Um, I think our first reaction, mine was, go sign Jordan Montgomery, right? You got all these Yankees. Uh, he's a guy that's proven. He, he's pitched in New York. He can fit in your long-term plans. Go out and sign him. Other people were saying, go get Trevor Bauer. Blake Snell's available. But then reading your article, I'm like, okay, there's some names that maybe some people aren't thinking about. And also, maybe some people just heard David Stern say, it's Tyler McGill, it's Jose Buto, it's Joey Lucchese. And they're thinking that they're not going to make a move. What do you say to that?
3: Yeah, so I, I think there's kind of pros and cons to each. I mean, at, at this point, what, what we've reported is that the, the Mets, they're staying in touch with those guys in pre-agency, uh, you know, less the Snell-Montgomery tier and more the, uh, as you as mentioned in the story, you know, Mike Clevenger, Michael Lorenzen, mm-hmm. that type guys who don't move the needle quite to the same extent, and they're staying in touch with them mainly in case something else happens in spring. You know, a lot of times you expect to lose a starter over the course of spring training. It happens to the Mets pretty regularly, especially. But when you lose a guy like Senga, you're number one before games even start. Then you're kind of hold, crossing your fingers that nothing else happens once you get into games. You know, they've only had uh, one of their presumed starting five in, in Adrian your pitch uh, in, in a Grapefruit League game at this point. So, you know, you're hopeful that you get through the rest of spring with, with whoever you, you deem your top five intact. But if that doesn't happen, then they want to be able to be flexible and and react pretty quickly. So I think that's where they're at right now. You know, I think you can make a strong case that, man, Jordan Montgomery makes a lot of sense for the Mets uh, because this is a team that doesn't have a lot of long-term pieces locked into their rotation beyond this season. It's really just Senga and, and whoever steps up from their group of depth starters or young starters. You know, Sean Minaya, if he has a good season, can opt out. Jose Quintana is going to be a free agent. Severino and, and Hauser are slated to be free agents, so uh, the rotation doesn't have a lot of certainty moving forward. I do think that they plan to be more aggressive in their free agent pursuits next offseason in the free in the starting pitching market, but Montgomery is a guy who, who could make sense now uh, and, and for the longer term if they're willing to pay the uh, you know, large luxury tax fee that would come along with signing him.
1: I also saw an article on Bleacher Report today that the Mets quietly were pursuing a role as Chapman. Obviously, he signed with the Pod, uh not the Padres, the Pirates. Uh, who did I just see sign with the Padres? Tim LaCastro, former Yankee Met. Um, Julio Tehran. Uh, Andy Martino put out an article today that had some Mets fans on Twitter upset, and it was talking about the Mets' pursuit of Julio Tehran this week before he signed with the Orioles. Uh, what do you think about David Stern's process what do you think about how much we know and what we don't don't know? I lean into the fact that there's there's no way for us to know who he's talking to, what what his actual plans are. You just got to sit back and watch and see.
3: Yeah, you know, in in any executive's first offseason, it's a lot of learning the process like that. And, you know, Stearns has been pretty upfront from the start of the offseason that you know this team is going to need to find out more about its younger players, uh, and that's you know that's Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos offensively, uh, and that is. Uh, as much as best fans kind of roll their eyes at it, that is McGill, David Peterson when he's back from his injury, uh, Jose Buto in the rotation, and eventually that next wave of guys they've got who might start the year in AAA, like the Christian Scott, Mike Bassels, that type, so that they have a better sense of going into next offseason, okay, how many guys do we need to add realistically for the next couple of years? Is it is it just get a number one at the top to pair with Senga, or is it that they have to fill in, get a number three, and number four to replace guys like Quintana in the rotation? So I think it's kind of... It, it feels kind of like a fact-finding mission this season, this season for the Mets, mm-hmm. with how help has positioned it. But because it's in the National League, kind of beyond LA and Atlanta, it seems pretty open for them to to maybe go for a playoff spot. Uh, that there is opportunity there uh, to to get into October, and we've seen the last two two falls in the National League that just getting in there as a the number six seed uh, could mean a lot.
1: Yeah, and it's realistic. And I I know Stearns has said that he, he thinks this is a postseason caliber team and now that we're two weeks in the spring training we're starting to see guys are you down there or are you not down there yet
3: uh, i am down here
1: okay so here's a question for you we're on the fan right now with tim Britton, who covers the mets for the athletic here's a question for you who's caught your eye who's turning the most heads who do you hear the fans and people chatting about um two weeks in to camp it, it could be multiple guys i'll tell you the guys for me just from the internet that i see
3: well i, I think you know the the number one is probably edwin diaz because he looks just like Edwin Diaz, which was the hope coming in, mm-hmm. uh, is that you know it, you can kind of just forget that that last season. You know, this, this is the hope really across the organization. Forget that last season happened. Pretend you're just coming off of 2022 and you've got the best closer in baseball uh, back for your ninth inning, and, and how that can reframe your bullpen as a whole, re- reframe the way you strategize a nine inning game. Uh, beyond that, I think you know it's, it's, we haven't seen a lot of their their kind of core players. Uh, Like like I said, we haven't seen a lot of the pitchers on the mound yet in game action. You know, Diaz, uh, this is on backfield stuff. Um, So we've seen more of that next group of prospects, guys like uh, Luis Angel Acuna and Drew Gilbert and and Jet Williams, and all three have had nice moments in in the early going. Uh, You know, it's it's tough to read too much into it because, again, they're not facing, you know, elite competition yet at this point in spring. Uh, But they're off to – they're looking the way you want your – 20, 21-year-old prospects to look when they're in spring games. They look like they belong at this stage and maybe as guys who could make an impact before the end of the regular season.
1: I also was on air for the Mets' first spring training game on Saturday, which was kind of rough right out of the gate, but they put that behind them. These are exhibitions. They were able to string together four wins, and there are a lot of bright spots and moments from these four wins. I'll throw out the name Trace Thompson, who's a little bit of a journeyman, Obviously, his bro- brother Clay is uh, wildly popular in the sports world. Luke Voigt, G Man Choi, Joey Wendell. There are some guys uh, with the Mets that have been in other places, but they're veterans. They're major league caliber ball players that I think have had some moments here and are turning some heads. What, what do you think about the guys that I just mentioned?
3: Yeah, I mean, Thompson hit, hit a grand slam uh, a couple of days ago. He had another home run today and a double. is uh, hitting the ball hard. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a weird guy because you think of, like, that extra outfielder right-handed bat. Well, he's got to hit left-handers, right? I think that's got to be his, his A1 uh, thing that he does. Uh, and instead, he, he's better against right-handers. He's been better against right-handers his whole career. Uh, in his best season in L.A. a couple of years ago, he just crushed right-handed pitching. Uh, and so, you know, when you look at the composition of the Mets bench, you, you generally thought that, okay, DJ Stewart's got uh, an inside track on that role as an extra bench bat from the left side. But, you know, maybe if Thompson has a big spring, you decide, you know, it doesn't have to be a lefty who hits as well. It could be a right-handed bat who hits as well, like Thompson. Stewart does still have options if they wanted to go that route. So I think, I think you know, he's, he's a guy from a performance standpoint who stood out. Uh, and I think one of the things that stood out in, in these last couple of games just how well they've played defensively. They've done a lot of the little things right, and that's something that you know you watch the Mets on a regular basis for the last several years, really outside of the 2022 season. They didn't do a lot of those little things, defense, base running right, and they've done that so far. And that, that speaks well to the way they're being taught uh, in the early part of spring, at least, by, by Carlos Mendoza and a, a relatively new coaching staff.
1: There we go. You just got to my next question. Tell us something about Carlos Mendoza that you've observed, something that you've seen. He seems pretty quiet. But we know he's a baseball guy. We know he knows his stuff. Tell us anything that you've seen from him, either working with uh, the young players or uh, coaching guys up, or just his manner uh, that we might not be able to see from what we've got on the internet.
3: I mean, I think it is what you said that he's a real baseball guy. Like he lives and breathes it. Uh, he's, he's all over the place uh, on the backfields during the course of, of their workouts. Uh, he's a guy who you know, in their the, the post-game press conferences is highlighting the little things that they do, uh, that they did well in, in a game like today. He mentioned a couple different base running things they did that he really liked. Uh, so I, I think he's a guy who's, who's, you know, we talk about it all the time with Buck Showalter, the excessive attention to detail. I think Mendoza has a lot of that in him, but maybe doesn't talk about it quite as much or doesn't have the reputation for it the way Showalter did when he, he got here a couple of years ago. But I, I think he's going to place the same emphasis on doing those those small fundamentals well, and, and what he's talked about all spring is just using this time to forge relationships with guys. You know, it's it's a it's in, the front office is mostly new. The coaching staff is mostly new. There's a lot of get-to-know-you time uh, this time of year uh, for, for the players and the coaching staff. And, and Mendoza is trying to, to make the most of that. So the, I think the word connections is probably the word he's used the most in <laughs> talking to the media, to make those connections with guys and, and get to know them uh, and, and figure out the best way to, to get the most out of them over the course of 162.
1: How has the morale been with some of the former Mets? I've seen David Wright, Daniel Murphy, Carlos Beltran, uh, Gary Sheffield, Daryl Strawberry. How has that been for some of these young players and some of the current Mets to be around those guys? And have you been able to speak to some of the former Mets?
3: Yeah, I mean, we, we talked to Strawberry yesterday, I think it was. Uh, and he was, you know, I think most, most guys who are in that position, they, they just enjoy being down around the baseball field again. Uh, Strawberry, he, he declined to take BP or do anything like that, even though he <laughs> looks like he could, could still uh, whip a bat around and hit him pretty far away at his age. Uh, you know, the, those guys are happy to be there. And, and kind of, you know, it, it's most of them, they don't want to, like, impose on anything. They just kind of want to be there as a, a sounding board for any players who have any questions for them. You know, I, I remember uh, last year a, a player talking to Carlos Beltran about you know, I'm trying to throw my cutter in to left-handers. What What about a cutter when you as a, left, as a left-handed batter, what bothers you about a cutter? Where's the best place to put it? Uh, and, I was, you know, Beltran had a good answer to that and could talk through it. And that's what they're kind of there for. Um, and I think Carlos, you know, he works in the organization now and is going to take a more active role. Uh, be around the major league team a little bit more than he was last year when he, he kind of traveled to the minor league facilities over the course of the season. And I think, you know, he's a guy who we've talked about it for years with him, uh, has uh, a lot of major league experience, uh, has stuff that he can tell guys that, that has, he has kind of a cachet uh, with this generation of player that maybe you know, it's tougher for a guy like Strawberry who played a longer time ago to have. Uh, so th- I think that's the value of having those guys in spring and then, you know, in, in Beltran's case, around a little bit more often during the season
1: couple more questions for you. We have Tim Britton on the fan right now. He covers the Mets for the Athletic. Uh, This is something that I've said just in theory. The Mets bullpen was so terrible last year. I just see them being better this year with the additions that they've made. Uh, Can you name one guy I saw Adam Adovino was throwing, but can you name one guy that has stood out from either his live bullpens or that has also turned some heads, Um, maybe a new addition to the Mets bullpen this year?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, like Jorge Lopez is a guy who they're, they're pretty high on and what he can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think a guy who's got a pretty wide range of potential outcomes this year, as his last couple of years of the majors have shown. You know, that first half that he had uh, with Baltimore in 2022, he was as lights out dominant as, as anyone in the sport. Uh, and then in the second half, really faded for them, uh, and then had a rough 2023 between Minnesota, Miami, and Baltimore. Uh, but he's a guy who, you know, when he's in the right frame of mind, when he's harnessing his stuff, the, the stuff, as a reliever really jumps at you. Uh, You know, the Mets did not have uh, guys in the bullpen who could throw 98 last year. Uh, They get Diaz back who can do that. Lopez can do that. Uh, They've got a little bit more firepower in their bullpen than they did last year. It's it's a little less of the same kind of mid nineties fastball slider off of it look that they had a lot of last year. So I think Lopez plays into that. You know, Jake Deakman gives them a second left-hander in in that pen, a, a guy who can, uh, you know, be used to complement Brooks Raley. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Shintaro Fujinami yet because he had to go back to Japan for a family matter, but he's another guy who throws, I think he probably throws the hardest of anyone in that bullpen. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to catch up and make the team out of spring training, but a guy who throws triple digits. Uh, so that's something that's, you know, Outside of Diaz, they haven't really had as much of the last couple of years, uh, and we've seen it across the sport that you know a lot of teams, their sixth inning guy comes in throwing 99, uh, and now the Mets might have those options uh, a little more available to them.
1: Starling Marte made his spring training debut today, and he spoke with the media. How did he look? This is a guy that has to bounce back this year after what happened last year. This is a guy that if he's right, if he's himself, he he's going to be a big-time player for the Mets.
3: Yeah, he, I mean, he might be the biggest X factor on the roster because if he's the player he was in 2022, a guy who can influence the way you win games in so many different ways with his with his bat, with his legs, with his, his glove and his arm in the outfield, uh, you know, he looks like himself more so uh, than he did for, for most of last year. It's still, you know, it's it's two at-bats. Uh, it's really hard to get a read on that at this time of year. You know, if you remember, like last year when he was just coming off of the, the – double groin operation that really slowed him over the course of the season. He had a really nice spring training. (laughs) He kind of put the, the worries that, that the Mets might have had two rest by having a really nice spring training and then didn't translate over to the regular season. So I think you've got to got to get into the regular season, get into that schedule on a regular basis, night in, nine innings, night in and night out, to get a better sense of, of what Marte can be for them this year. Uh, they you know they haven't talked about taking it slow with him yet. Uh, they're going to test that out in spring training, but it wouldn't surprise me if that that first month of April they are a little you know a little bit more conservative with his playing time. Maybe give him a DH day here and there and keep him off his feet every day. To uh, so try to get the most out of him because he is such an important part to to their team and to their lineup. Because when you, you look at their lineup, being able to plug him into that number two hole really makes the whole thing come together in a different way than than it does if, if he's you know if he has to hit at the bottom of the order.
1: I've said this for the last couple weeks about the young guys with something to prove as far as showing that they belong, and some of these journeyman guys showing that they still belong and can play at the major league level. And with the Mets having proven guys who have got their monies. Uh, got their money, big deal, um, you know, and have proven themselves like all of that together. I feel like that's the combination to get, uh, you know, the right mojo going. These guys have a chip on their shoulder. They're competing. My question for you is this. We know that David Stearns has been vocal about trying to see what these young guys have in like Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty, particularly at third base and even at, at DH, but I think that there's guys like Joey Wendell who have played third base that could potentially pop in there. And then even the names that I went through before of G-Man Choi, Luke Voigt, Trace Thompson, like these guys, you know, if they're having a good spring, do you think that they could challenge? Like how long do you think is the leash for Brett Beatty, or Mark Vientos this year? I don't think it's like a, a Anthony Volpe situation last year with the Yankees where he won the shortstop job in the spring and they said, you're the guy the whole season. Like, do you think there's some truth to these um, spring training invites, these uh, these journeyman guys that could force their way into the lineup if these kids aren't ready.
3: Yeah, you know, I think the Mets have protected themselves a little bit with with adding uh, veterans who they can count on to you know provide maybe a higher floor if if guys like Beatty and Vientos really struggle. You know, you know, you mentioned Choi a couple of times. Like he's a guy when you look at at what his numbers are. It's like, oh man, outside of last year, which which obviously was a kind of a lost year for him. He's been pretty good lately. He's an above-league average hitter uh, by a fair margin during his years in Tampa. So, uh, you know, a guy who started for playoff teams pretty regularly with the Rays. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I asked Stearns earlier in the spring about kind of – everyone talks about the difficulty of spring training evaluations. You don't want to trust spring training stats. We saw that last year when Baby and Vientos had huge spring trainings. Uh, I think Baby's spring training OPS was just about 900. Uh, And then he 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 fell on his face a little bit in the regular season, Uh, and Stern said, you know, one of the things we look at is we we kind of foreground what our opinions are at the start of spring, and if we're changing them six weeks later, we want to have a really good reason for why. That's you know we believe in a certain player so much more because of a change they made, because of health issues uh, that that appealed. Uh, You know, you want to be able to explain it beyond, well, he hit this in you know 50 spring training at bats. So I think. My expectation would be that that Beatty and Vientos are going to get the run of playing time early in the season at third and at DH, Uh, and then you know they'll probably reevaluate a couple of you know a few weeks in, uh, a month in. Memorial Day is traditionally a a time of of taking a step back and seeing what you have, uh, and then deciding uh, whether they've got enough juice there between the two of them. I think the the problem is trying to break in two of those guys at the same time. That can be hard, Uh, but uh, I think. That that's the plan at this point. See what you have in those two, and then you have some fallback options, like you mentioned in, in Wendell at third. Uh, you know that's where the loss of Ronnie Mauricio hurts a bit. Uh, but having you know Voit and Choi maybe still in the minor leagues at that stage, Stewart, Trace Thompson, all those guys as, as maybe options to back up Vientos if things don't work out. Last
1: question for you: Has Steve Cohen been around? I remember him last year specifically saying he's not going to put a team out there that's going to embarrass us. Talking about the organization as well as the fans. And I love that hearing that from an owner, like that's what you want to hear from your owner that, no, we're not punting on the season. We're not just running anybody out there losing every series in June. Isn't okay. Has Steve Cohen been visible at spring training?
3: Yeah, He was down uh, around president's day. Uh, He did not do his usual like meeting with the media. I I think that is supposed to come at some point in spring training. They haven't scheduled it yet. Uh, it, It usually is that first week. Now he's, he's talked about not wanting to be like an overbearing presence. Like he wants people to know that he cares, but he doesn't want to be, you know, Jerry Jones in the box Mm -hmm. (laughs) looking down at everything every week. So I I think, you know, he's, he's trying to to walk that balance. You know, we've seen, we've seen him evolve really over his, this will be his fourth season as the head the the control person of the team uh you know it's a far cry his behavior now from like 2021 when he was tweeting about how the offense was struggling so much uh (laughs) during that august you know i think he's changed his his mannerisms a little bit uh and and kind of his level of patience a little bit as he's learned the ropes in baseball and and how hard it can be to build a winner right away
1: good hey tim thanks for joining us i appreciate it man
3: no anytime keith thanks so much
1: LGYM. That's Tim Britton, a senior writer from The Athletic, covering your New York Mets. This is Keith McPherson, your nighttime host. The Rangers are up 2-0 with about a minute 20 left in the second period. We've got a bunch of Yankee fans on the phone that want to talk. Yanks, Blake Snell, Juan Soto, Aaron Judge, and everything else. So let's take a break here. 877-337-6666. I don't have any guests lined up. We're going to take your calls right after this. At Nighttime Vibes. On the fan in New York, 101.9 FM, Keith McPherson, your nighttime host. It's KM to AM, five-hour sports talk show. Thanks to Tim Britton for joining us from Port St. Lucie to talk about the Mets. Mets fans, call me up, 877-337-6666. Maybe I didn't ask the question that you wanted asked. You can ask me, and we can have the conversation. But I did say all my calls were lining up, Yankees and... We got to talk Yanks. It's almost time. Pressure is on. The hype train is all the way on. You know, I saw an article that went out today. Shout out to C.K. Kirshner um, in his article talking about Juan Soto. And Juan Soto saying how he didn't want to leave the Washington Nationals. He left $440 million on the table. Also, Juan Soto said he believes playing in front of the Dominican community, community in the Bronx will feel like it did in the World Baseball Classic. Awesome. De lo mio. I mean, <laughs> come on. If you're in the X and you're Dominican and you like the Yankees in baseball, you should be figuring out how to come to those home games and make Juan Soto feel right at home. I saw Jordan MVP Barber. Jordan, this guy, Jordan the Barber, he cuts hair in the Bronx. And uh, he was cutting Juan Soto's hair today. I think I saw my good folks at Dugout Station, Sandy and Jules, posted it. And uh, I just laughed. I'm like, Juan Soto is a Yankee, man. There's just all these little things popping up that just tell you he's right at home. He's right where he wants to be. And I saw Jordan MVP Barber posted it on his Instagram. I got to get a translation for the, um, the caption here. But basically in the video, you know, he's got two barbers cutting Juan Soto's hair himself and I guess an assistant. And uh, he basically says, you know, like, this is special. Like, you're a Yankee. This is only because you're a Yankee. And I mean... In the comments, you see Robinson Cano. You see Vladdy Jr. I know CeCe Sabathia used to get his hair cut by him. Um, David Ortiz. This guy is like the celebrity barber for baseball players. Adrian Beltre, Vladdy Sr. on his Instagram. So this is a guy that I think also may be getting a show. I remember reading an article. He's got, he's got a podcast Um, or something that he does, but I think that they're going to work on turning it into a show. Aaron Judge went up there to get a haircut from him um, back in December. So what I'm saying is this guy, Juan Soto, this guy has already gotten haircuts from him. Now this guy is cutting Juan Soto's hair down in Tampa, and Juan Soto will be able to get consistent haircuts from him in the Bronx or right at Yankee Stadium and we're hearing all these things about Juan Soto and how excited he is to play in Yankee Stadium in front of the Dominican community. I'll pull some more things from that article, but let's get to the phones. Bruce is in Flushing. Bruce, you're on the fan.
2: Hey, Keith, Three hey. or four Yankee points, if I can. Mm-hmm. Now, Randy Miller of NewJersey.com came on a Ricky Ricardo show over the weekend yeah. and said to the Yankees, wouldn't spend money on (laughs) Soto. No, 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 no. Um, If we want to be the old Yankees, the big bad Yankees, there's a ton of money coming off the payroll this year. Um, Torres is not going to get re-signed. Hicks' money is off, and a few other people's money comes off. You're probably not going to re-sign Rizzo. If, if, If Hal wants to... Beat the, like the old time Yankees, there was no excuse not to sign uh, Soto. If it goes to 600 million, fine, it goes to 600 million. If it goes to 650 million, fine, it goes to 650 million. This is one of the top five players in, this, in the major leagues. You didn't go after Freddie Freeman, you didn't go after a first baseman who's now in the Braves who could have been in the mainstay for years. This is the opportunity the Yankees need to have to re-sign Soto. Now, if Soto wants to go someplace else, fine. How is, you know, can't control that. But for lack of money, no. The Yankees have the money, and they need to offer it to him.
1: That's your first point. You have another point, right? I'll respond to that.
2: Okay. Second point, okay. people forget about um, um, Roden. Left-hander. And what's he developing? A a cutter. And guess who's going to be around the Yankees a lot more this year? Andy Pettig. I think people are overlooking the fact that Pettick is going to help run down a great deal. And the last point is, you know, I think Brian Cashman may have done it again. He got this picture off the scrap heap, Nick Birdie. He's been not healthy the last couple of years. But according to reports I read, he's thrown 98 gas with a wipeout slider. So, Cashman, give the devil his due. May have done it again.
1: Thanks for the call, Bruce. Maybe he did. And I do trust Matt Blake. I don't think we give enough credit to Matt Blake. I actually got to reach out to Matt Blake. I was going through my contacts and DMs as baseball is coming back. And I'm like, I got to reach out to some people. And I also need to book... Guest for KM to AM, and I'm like, I had Matt Blake on. I completely forgot about that. Matt Blake is the change. We're far from the Larry Rothschild days, and I think that they kind of feel good about their bullpen, whether it's Clay Holmes and Yankee fans are clamoring for Josh Hader, um, whether it's Clark Schmidt and Yankee fans are screaming for Blake Snell. They feel good about their process. They feel good about Matt Blake, and Garrett Cole is a pitching coach on top of the AL Cy Young winner and best pitcher in baseball. So I think the Yankees are fine. I think, like, I had an article that went out on WFAN, shout out to Ryan putting it out there, where I'm like, Yankee fans are just paranoid, pessimistic, and spoiled, most of them. This is a good rotation on paper right now. Obviously, we're hoping they all stay healthy. Obviously, we're hoping that Rodon has a bounce-back year. And like Bruce was saying, him working with Andy Pettit, yeah, Andy Pettit, add him as well to the pitching lab for the New York Yankees with Matt Blake and with Garrett Cole. They're going to be better than fine. Pitching's not the problem. Pitching hasn't been the problem. It's the hitting. And now they have one of the best hitters we've ever seen, Juan Soto. One of the best hitters we've ever seen in pinstripes, one of the best hitters of this generation. He's only 25. The other night, I was giving props to the Yes Network for the graphic that they put up going through all of the guys that have debuted in the last couple years that are all-stars and that are talked about that are older than Juan Soto. Adley Rushman, Luis Robert, George Kirby, Josh Young, Shane McClanahan, Jeremy Pena, all those guys are older than Juan Soto. You have to re-sign Juan Soto. But I'm not so worried about that. The the whole conversation around Juan Soto to Queens, it's just like, what are we doing? It's so corny to me. Like, it is February 28th. This whole week, I've opened up my Twitter app to see all of this nonsense from Mets fans and Yankee fans alike. Nobody knows the future, and why are you living in the future? I so desperately wanted to get to this time, after going 82-80, and 80, after a nine-game losing streak, when we needed a nine-game winning streak. December 7th, they made the deal for Juan Soto. The time has flown by. I'm not going to let this time fly by and just pass through the season and get to next year's winter meetings. You feel me? Like, I'm not thinking about the off season, But as I do indulge people on Twitter, because Twitter is a fake place where you can say what you want, you can post what you want, facts don't matter, you can put anything out there. I just keep drawing conclusions and connecting the dots to why Juan Soto is right where he's always wanted to be where his dad or uncle, who's a Yankees fan, wanted him to be, where Robinson Cano, his favorite player growing up and mentor, told him, hey, you're in the right spot. And even going back to, I'm blanking on this guy's name right now, uh, Gio Gonzalez, Gio Gonzalez telling him, right? Gio Gonzalez, who was an almost Yankee, who pitched with the Washington Nationals back when Juan Soto was there. Gio Gio Gonzalez told him once upon a time, you're going to be a Yankee because you're like that, right? You burst on the scene very young. I think you're a fool if you think that Hal Steinbrenner doesn't have enough money to match every offer in baseball. It's not like you can actually offer these guys billions. And it's also not like the Yankees are ever broke. They're going to make money. They're going to make a ton of money this year. And I think by not going out there and signing Blake Snell or Josh Hader or some of these other guys you might be screaming for, they're already keeping an eye on where they're going to be when they have to match any offer to keep Juan Soto. But I also think there's a lot to be said about the fact that it's different over here. Cashman said they want this to return to being the Mecca of baseball. The, the perks that Juan Soto is going to experience in New York that he didn't have in San Diego, that he didn't have in D.C., I don't think he's just going to want to jump into David Stern's Milwaukee Mets next year for an extra $100 million or whatever you guys are dreaming up. I understand some of the Mets fans, and I don't want to blanket all Mets fans. Some of the Mets fans are so down on this season and think the Mets are going to be terrible. All you have is to look forward to the offseason next year. I'm not doing that. I'm a Yankee fan. I'm excited for this season. We're a month away from opening day. Juan Soto is a Yankee. 877-337-6666. Let's hit the break and the update. KM to AM returns right after this.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?